Wow. I've never seen it that big before. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, thank you. That's, uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, it's good to be back. It's good to be here again. Uh, I think it's only just been a few weeks. Um, and uh, as we were saying uh, back in the back, it's always a pleasure, and I think I've said this before, it's always a pleasure to be here. Um, we enjoy being here. I think it's Brenda says it's almost our second home. Um, it kind of feels that way. It was a beautiful drive down this morning, coming down uh, from the north country, uh, Windsor. And uh, so uh, I'm just, uh, I'm excited about what I think uh, the Lord has to say to us today. Um, I've been, uh, not sure what, soaking, I guess would be the word, uh, in the scripture uh, that I'm going to share this morning for several weeks. Um, and uh, there is so much uh, in it, uh, so much that is there. Uh, we're not going to exhaust it this morning, uh, but I do think there are some, there's a truth there that uh, God would want us to hear this morning. Uh, my scriptures found, uh, I'm going to go back into the Old Testament again, as I did the last time I was here. Uh, I believe the last time I was in First uh, Samuel, this time we're in First Kings. First Kings chapter 19. When you get there, if you don't already know, it's a pretty familiar portion of Scripture. Um, it is uh, takes place uh, when uh, Ahab, uh, who is the king of the northern kingdom, uh, is the king. We have Ahab in the north, and we have um, uh, Jehoshaphat in the south. And uh, by this time in, in the history of Israel... Um, Solomon has passed. His son uh, Rehoboam has uh, had taken over as king, but then there was a civil war, and the country was split. Basically, ten kingdoms to the north, which is called Israel, and two kingdoms to the south, uh, which uh, is referred to as Judah. And so, uh, we've now going a succession of kings. Uh, and uh, we've landed at Ahab, um, and uh, we're not going to talk a lot about him, only that uh, he wasn't a good guy. Um, and uh, as you read through the history of the kings in the Old Testament, uh, behind uh, the vast majority of those kings, uh, those stories typically end up with the words, the king did evil in the eyes of God. Do you remember the last time we spoke, we were talking about Samuel and how, they had, how the people had screamed to have a king. And uh, they wanted a king, they wanted to be like everyone else. And now we jump ahead in history and we see exactly... Uh, what that has meant and has meant to the kingdom, uh, to, to, to Israel. So in chapter, um, 19, 
Uh, actually, it begins at the end of 18, but I want to, I want to, uh, speak from the first eight cha- eight verse, eight chapters, yeah, eight verses of, uh, of, of chapter 19. But before I do that, I, I want to just kind of set, set, set the, uh, just kind of set the theme here. Uh, Elijah has called out, uh, the, the, the prophets of Baal. He has, has, um, brought them or told them to come to Mount Carmel and that there's going to be a contest. And in this contest, it's going to be determined who is the true God of Israel. Is it Baal? Uh, who, whom Ahab's wife Jezebel introduced and was pushing very much in the land of Israel? Or is it the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And so we know that story that they all go up to the top of Mount Carmel. And there at Mount Carmel, uh, the, uh, altar is, an altar is built there and, and the, and the prophets of Baal, uh, they cut up their oxen and they lay it there in the wood and everything and they, they yell out to their God. They holler out to their God and, and yet nothing happens because the contest was that whosoever God would destroy uh, the offering and burn the offering uh, would be the true God, and they agreed to that. And so, for most of the day, these prophets of Baal um, have been screaming and hollering and cutting themselves, the Bible says, and, and, and doing all kinds of things, which was um, not very good. And Elijah kind of got in their face a little bit. And, uh, said, well, maybe your God's sleeping, or maybe he's, you know, maybe he's off somewhere else, or he's not hearing, and he began to jib them a little bit, and they began to work into a frenzy even more, and then finally it comes time for the evening offering. So, they had been going about this all day long, so it came time for the evening offering, and Elijah builds up the, this, uh, altar there, and takes the oxen, and he cuts it up and he lays it there with the wood and everything that's there for the evening sacrifice. And then he has them pour water. There's a trench that's built around the altar. So he has them water soak all of that, uh, all of the offering there. So much so that it filled up the trench that went all the way around and it was completely submerged in water. Now, I'm sure if I'm the guy, uh, prophets of Baal, I'm thinking, there's no way this stuff's going to burn. That just can't happen. So then, Isaiah prays a simple prayer, and suddenly, fire comes from heaven, and it completely consumes the offering. It consumes the offering, it consumes the rocks that had, had made the altar, it licked up, it says, all the water that was there completely, completely just took it all, consumed it all. At that point, all the people fall on their knees that are there and say, oh, the God of Israel is the true God. The God of Israel is the true God. And so then, 
Elijah then um, rounds up those 450 prophets of Baal and he takes them down to the creek called Kishon. And he puts them all to the sword. And if it wasn't already a long day, imagine what it would be like to try to kill 450 people. But Elijah was on a high. I mean, he had, he, things were going his way. God was doing what God does. And he was for sure that this would be enough to turn everyone to him, to God. So then, at this time also, there had been a drought. Okay, it had been going on for three years in the land. And Elijah says to King Ahab, uh, you better head for home because it's going to start raining and you're not going to be able to make it. And so Elijah prays. There's a small cloud that raises up above the sea and we know then that it comes and it rains. And I mean it really, as we call it when I was a kid, a gully washer came. And it just... It just was just rained and poured. And again, I, I, Elijah's probably thinking, man, God is doing it today. He is, he is making it known right now that He is the true God. So he goes up to Ahab and he says to Ahab, he says, Ahab, it's raining. You better get for home. So Ahab jumps in his chariot with his horse. And he takes off for home. Elijah, to not be outdone, it says in the Bible, grabbed his robe and tucked it in and sprinted and beat Ahab back to town. So he's called, he's, he's been gone at it all day. He's called fire down. He's killed these, um, prophets of Baal. He's prayed for rain and the rain has come. He's told Ahab, you better get moving. And he beats Ahab with his horse and chariot back to town. The guy is on fire. Not literally. But he's on fire. I mean, he's, he's at it. And then we come to chapter 19. Interesting scripture, chapter 19. And I think there's something here for us. It begins and it goes like this. Ahab now has returned to Jezebel, his wife, and says, tells her all that Elijah has done. How he had slain the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Eli saying, So, so may the gods do to me and more so, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Verse 3. Then he was afraid. And he rose and he went for his life and he came to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is about a hundred miles south of where he was. So he didn't just, you know, go hide out in the neighborhood. He took off. And he was getting out of dodge, as we say. 
which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. Seriously? All that has just happened, suddenly, this queen threatens his life, and all he can think about is, oh, woe is me. I want to die. He says, Is it not enough, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there by his head was a cake baked in hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Now I want you to catch this phrase. Else the journey will be too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and won in that strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. May God ask the blessing to the reading of his word. As I told you before, I'm kind of a history nut. Kind of a, I kind of, I, I enjoy it a lot. And that drives my family crazy. But anyway, especially when we go to museums and I'm stuck on one spot while everybody's already made their way around the museum because I want to read every word and I want to know everything that's going on. So recently, for about the fourth time, now nah, the third time, I have been listening to an audio version of the memoirs of U.S. Grant. Now, that's a big, long, that's a big book. Okay, we'll just put it that way. That's a big book, and there's a lot to it. And it's also, uh, but I'm intrigued by it because I'm intrigued by history. I don't know. I guess God just kind of put that little nut in my head or something, and that's, that's where it's at. So, I've been thinking about this scripture, and then I'm thinking about battle, and I'm thinking about, and follow me here, okay, I hope I don't lose you, but, and battle, and, and war, and, and tactics, and things like that, and, and so, in early July of 1863, there, the Army of Northern Virginia had crossed the Potomac River and had moved into an area in southern Pennsylvania, south-central Pennsylvania. It was there that they had a plan to move on to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which was a vital spot, and then finally to Philadelphia. Their goal, obviously, was to invade the North. We're in the Civil War. And so, he's cut off by the Union Army near a town called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And it's there at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, that a three-day battle was fought it was one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War. I've had the pleasure of being there a couple of times. The last time I was there was a couple of years ago when I was on business and I had some time. So I went up to Gettysburg and I walked across that field. I stood on the one side and, and kind of followed the road where the South had come up and they'd lined up. And then there was... 
uh, there was Cemetery Ridge and there was all of those high points that the north had occupied and were ready for the third day, which brought Pickett's Charge. It's the one we always hear when you talk about Gettysburg. And so Pickett's Charge, a bloody charge, takes place. It's repulsed by the Union Army. And Robert E. Lee pulls back. He decides to take his army and get out of there as fast as he can. It's a, a great loss of men, and he was going to have to postpone uh, the campaign that he had planned. But he knew he needed to get out of there to save his army. Well, fortunately for him, the Union Army decided not to, until much later, try to pursue him as a retreating army. They decided a few days later, then some rain came and some things happened, but what happened was Lee got back across the river and was able to bring his army back together and travel back down near Richmond and refit his army and, and bring and rebuild his army. And the South, I mean, and the North um, really did not pursue him. And unfortunately for that, the war probably lasted longer than it need be. For if they'd have pursued him and, and destroyed him and annihilated him, then they probably would have brought around a quicker um, end to the war. And you're probably all sitting out there saying, what are we talking about this in church for this morning? But, um, sound victory not followed up by destroying the enemy is what happened there for the Union Army. Isaiah had won a great victory. And rather than following it up, he hightailed it out. He ran away. Now, his life had been threatened. I get that. Okay? But he had just seen God do all that he had done. He had just, you know, uh, seen this tremendous work of God and in his mind, all that was needed to turn Israel back to God take place. He had seen that. And rather than following up on that, somebody threatens his life, which was bound to happen. I mean, you kill 450 of somebody's closest friends, chances are they're going to threaten your life. And so Isaiah runs off. And just as the army of northern Virginia, the, the Jezebel and her folks there in, the nor, in northern, in, uh, in Israel, were left to lick their wounds and prepare to fight another day. In today's passage, we see a victorious Elijah doing um, something quite different than you would typically see in tactics. If you're fighting a battle, you win a battle, you don't run. You run, you go up on, you know, you 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 move ahead on it. You you pursue the enemy. Why do you suppose this is? The passage says that Jezebel threatened his life. We get that. 
I guess maybe that's good enough reason. But I have trouble believing that that's the whole story. I just want to share what I think is buried indiscriminately in this passage today. There's something that I want us to think about. Sometimes retreating is God's design for sometimes sometimes when you are doing work for him there may come a time when we just kind of need to retreat we need to retreat and I think I, I want to share three things I don't think there, that's all of it and, and again stick with me here because I, I think I think I hope there's going to be some encouragement there here for you. I told you in the beginning, I've been living here for and soaking this for a while and, and thinking about a lot of stuff. Thinking about my own life. Thinking about our ministry. Thinking about a lot of things. But I want us to see three things. The first, as I said, is sometimes retreating is God's design to remind us. You might say, to remind us of what? That is, that the journey we are on is His. It's not ours. It's His will. It's not my will. It's His goal for the ministry, for our lives, for, what, for the church. It belongs to Him. Could it be that Elijah's God-given success had made him take his own importance a little bit too seriously? Think about that. His thoughts primarily his thought was primarily means of reach the, uh, he thought the primary means of reaching people was the display of God's power and dramatic in spectacular ways. I can't count on my two hands how many times I've waited for God to do the spectacular in my life. When I've been in a tough situation, when I felt like I've been backed up against the wall, when I felt like life's been just too much for me, that life's been, been beating me down too much, <clears throat> that I've waited for God to do the spectacular that fireworks would go off and that things would happen that would undoubtedly show His power in my life. And I don't need any hands to tell you how many times that's really happened. And we'll see that in the story. But sometimes we get caught up in, maybe as Elijah did, success. The successes of, of ministry, the successes of life, the successes of, of all of those things, so much that we begin to call it our own. It's me. If it wasn't for me, by golly, nothing would get done. If it wasn't for me, all of those people wouldn't be in our church. If it wasn't for me, and you fill in the blanks. But it's easy for us in our successes to want to take credit 
for those successes. And so I think that sometimes retreat is God's plan to remind us that it's His battle. That it's all about Him. You see, Elijah had thought if they didn't respond to all of this dramatic and spectacular things that have happened, there was no hope. So when he failed to see the results, his expectations were shattered. As I said already, he had figured that, boom, this is enough. If they don't turn now, they aren't never going to turn. If they don't respond to this, they're never going to respond. And so, God needed Elijah to be reminded that he doesn't necessarily work that way. And as we'll see in a little bit, when we get farther down into chapter 9, or chapter 19, wow, chapter 19, um, we'll see what we'll we'll, we'll see that in a, uh, manifested in a different way. Proverbs nineteen twenty one says, "Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails." Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So Isaiah, or Isaiah, man, Elijah needed to be reminded, reminded that the battle was God's. Reminded not to get too big for his britches. And not to put God in a box. The only way God can work, he believed, was in the spectacular Number two, sometimes retreating is God's design to refresh us. The angel comes to Elijah not once, but twice with food. Now that he has made it into the Arabian desert, he is out and under this what they call a broom tree, which is really nothing more than a shrub that doesn't really give any shade. Not much shade there. But he is exhausted. And he falls asleep. So then the angel taps him, says, arise and eat. So he arises and he eats. What's being said here basically is you cannot, Elijah, you cannot make it on your own strength or reserves. You're going to need my provision. That's what God is saying to Elijah. You're not going to make it on your own strength and on your own provisions. You need me. You're doing great stuff up there, but you're just doing it for me. I'm the one, okay? And if you're going to keep serving me, you're going to need me. So, in his desire to refresh Isaiah, he then says to him in verse 7 there, and I already mentioned it once, the angel came back a second time and touched him and said, get up, 
and eat. Because the journey is too much for you. See, God was looking out for his well-being. He could have just as easily said, Isaiah, you blew it. That's not exactly what I had in mind. Yes, it was great, you know, that we burned everything up in in the altar and that the water was gone and that we killed all those those prophets and and that that all of these things happened and the people got down on their knees most likely in an emotional moment having seen what they said saw and said oh yes the god of israel is the god but that's there's more to it You need me. You can't make it without me. You need my provision. I have more for you to do. I need you. You need me. So, God could have just as easily said, Oh, well, I'll find somebody else. Oh, well, hey, take a hike, dude. I I can find somebody else. I'm sure there's somebody out there with more you know, that I, we can pay more money to. But God doesn't work that way. And in our own lives, when we have found ourselves in the middle of the fray and we've had to retreat, we're looking for refreshing. We're looking for, for being filled. We're looking for that refreshment that comes from God. Does He usually say, Yeah, I know you want to die. You're gone. No, he doesn't do that. He knows us. He knows he made us. My scripture this morning that I read came for myself personally came out of Psalms 139. Before I was even born, you knew me. You knit me together. You made me. This is the God we serve. Every once in a while, it's his plan that we retreat. And that we be reminded of whose battle it is. And every once in a while, more than we want to admit, we need to be refreshed. We need to be refreshed by Him. And finally, number three, you probably figured He's never going to get there. Sometimes retreating is God's design to renew us and our vision. You see, God supplied tangible provisions that enabled Elijah to go in the strength of that food, it says in chapter, verse 8, 40 days and 40 nights. After that second visit by the angel, and that food that he was given, he traveled then many more days to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb, as we know, is where God, uh, Moses went. He met God. The Ten Commandments came from. Elijah now is back at Mount Horeb. And when he's at Mount Horeb, some interesting things happen. And we'll get to those. Richard Nelson, in his explanation or explanatory notes on this portion of Scripture, said, God's therapeutic, excuse me, God's therapy for prophetic burnout, or for our burnout, includes both the assignment of new tasks and a certain promise of a future that transcends the prophets and our own success or lack of it. 
Sometimes we need to be reminded, maybe, or even given a new past to help energize us, to help us to, to, to move forward and to, and to do what he's wanting us to do. Elijah goes up on Mount Horeb. Spends a little time there in a cave. And the story, again, a very familiar one, in verse, in chapter 19, is that first, a great, a great noise comes, and God comes as an earthquake, but Elijah doesn't hear him. He comes as a mighty rushing wind, but God doesn't hear him. He comes as a fire, but Elijah doesn't hear him. But then in the stillness and the quietness, Elijah hears a voice. He hears a voice that calls him by name. And he steps outside the cave and he begins a conversation with him. Sometimes in our lives, we set unrealistic expectations for ourselves. We have expectations that if this and this and this would happen, then the obvious obvious thing, uh, the obvious answer to that would be you know, something great. Elijah was sure that the fire the killing of the prophets was going to be the way that God was going to turn the entire country of Israel back to him. And when it didn't happen, he went away disappointed. You ever been there? You ever had these great plans and great ideas and great thoughts and maybe even great ministry aspirations? And suddenly, it's like, really? Where's God? I thought you told me to do this. I thought you called me. I thought you, I thought you asked me to do this. I thought you, you were, you were wanting this to take some, something to happen. And, Often, more often than not, our first response is first to blame God and then to run. God, it's your fault. Boom, I'm out of here. I'm going to go somewhere else where somebody might like me. Or I'm going to go somewhere else where maybe this will work on somebody else if it's not working here. And, and so Isaiah, Isaiah needed to retreat. He needed to retreat. Isaiah. Can I, would somebody throw something at me next time I say Isaiah? Elijah. Okay, you guys are ready. I can't believe this. Oh, that's pretty heavy. If you hit me, that's going to hurt. Elisha. Elijah. See, I'm jumping ahead to the next prophet. I haven't got that far yet. In conclusion, I just want us to know, how many of us have felt like running away? If not physically... Emotionally and spiritually. 
God, you just didn't live up to my expectations. You ever been there? You're not alone. Maybe you've neglected your physical and your spiritual well-being and you need some time of refreshment. Maybe just you need some time where it's just you and God. Don't expect fireworks. Don't expect earthquakes and fires and mighty rushing winds. Most likely you're going to find him when it's really quiet. When you're really quiet. How many of us need a renewing in our spirit and in our physical selves? If you do, you're not alone. The New Testament identifies Jesus as the living bread that came down from heaven. John 6.51 talks to that. Certainly the bread of Jesus gives us strength for our journeys in our lives. However difficult and however overwhelming they might be. We're human. But guess what? God loves us. Even when we goof up. Even when we make mistakes. And he doesn't leave us to our own devices. Again, as I said, he could have just told Elijah, you don't get it, man. You're out of here. But he didn't. Instead, Elijah went on to do a many more great things. So this morning, if you're, if you're feeling like things just aren't going the way I wish they would go, maybe you're tired. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you're just like, man, I can't go another mile. Ask God for some refreshing in your life. Don't neglect your physical self, but ask God for some refreshing in your life. And then keep your ears open because he's got something he wants to do. He's got something he wants to do through you. It may not have been what you thought it was going to be. It may not have went the way you thought it was going to go. But he's got something for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this story in the Old Testament. And this 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 little in-between portion of scripture that we read this morning that reminds us that the battle is not ours, it's yours. And that we're called to serve you, not ourselves. And that when times are tough, we need refreshing. We need a renewal of of our of 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 our call, a renewal of our uh, of what you're asking us to do. We need your leading. We need your spirit. Please fill us to overflowing. Please, as it was prayed this morning, give us spiritual ears and hearts to hear and to put into action what you have for us. And help us to remember that it's okay to retreat. It's okay to, it's okay to take care of the things that need to be taken care of. As a matter of fact, it might even sometimes be your plan for our life. Thank you for this group that's here today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it. 
guide us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are... Oh, we're going to play. Thank you. No play. All right. But I'm not leading if we're singing. No. Thank you.